You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Amen. Aren't you glad to be here this morning? <laughs> there, was like, there was like two people who clapped. My brother on the front, was, he was actually verbalizing. Anybody else glad to be here this morning? Yeah. Awesome. Don't you love the way we take up offerings now? I love the fact that we have the boxes you can give online. Next week, we're actually going to start something new, and you're just going to slide your debit card to get in the front door. I mean, it's going to become that much. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you are a guest with us, we're glad you're here. And I was, I was kidding. We're not going to be sliding debit cards next week. If you've been with us for the past few weeks... Uh, we are going through a series, Your Kingdom Come, and now we are in Your Will Be Done. Pastor Farrell has been doing an awesome job teaching us through that. He is on vacation this week, so that's why I'm up here. I know, I know, second string. But we, we, are, glad, we are glad to give uh, Pastor Farrell the opportunity to have some vacation with his family, and, uh, and so that's where he's at today. So you can be praying for him this week. Uh, I know he's got a sabbatical coming up, too, and man, I just, I, I've been praying that God would just refresh his spirit and his uh, soul during these times. So again, back to the series, Your Kingdom Come, Now We Are In Your Will Be Done. Listen, I, I've been challenged by this series in, in so many ways. In fact, anytime I would say to God, your will be done, I'm challenged. Anybody else in the room challenged by making that statement or anybody in the room just avoid making that statement? <laughs> your will be done. Because listen, when we open our hearts and our lives to his will being done, he will show you his will. Right. It's amazing to me what happens in our lives when we begin to live out the will of God. Will we miss it from time to time? Absolutely, we will. But so much it offered to us. And for me, it's just uh, experiencing the fullness of God when I'm walking in his in his will. This morning, we're continuing the series and we're learning that there is a quality of standard of living described for us in Scripture that demonstrates we are citizens of God's kingdom, a kingdom he has established right here on earth, a kingdom he, is, he establishes through us. I grew up in Florida. Anybody else grow up in Florida? No. Nope. Oh, I see a hand back. Yeah. So I grew up in Florida, and I remember when I was little, uh, my, my granny and my great aunt would come visit us from Central Texas. Anybody from Central Texas? Nobody's admitting it if they are. So they would come visit us from Central Texas. And listen, I know this sounds strange. If you're from Central Texas or have traveled out in that, out in that region, maybe the Phoenix, Arizona area, I, I was so excited to visit Phoenix uh, one time. And uh, we went up to the Grand Canyon. And I, obviously the Grand Canyon is like, oh, but the area surrounding it to me isn't pretty at all. But anyways, my granny and my uh, great aunt would come to Florida. And we would drive around for a few hours after they got there. And this is all I heard. Oh, look at that tree. That tree is so green. Did you look at that tree over there? Do you see this grass? The grass is so green. I mean, they were in awe of what they were seeing in contrast to what they were experiencing in central Texas, where you hardly have any trees unless they're mesquite and you're cutting those down to barbecue. But the contrast that they would see visually and express even verbally, listen, that same contrast we should be seeing in our own lives in contrast with the kingdom of this world. Right? The kingdom of God should live in stark contrast to the kingdom of the world. 
I, I read this a while back and it, it stuck with me. The kingdom of God should be an alternative to the world and not an echo of it. And I'm kind of dismayed when I, when I look around our society and culture because right now, and, and maybe for all time, and, and all time in the future, the world needs Jesus. And when we're talking about your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen, that changes everything around us. If we're living that out, if we're not only expressing your will be done, but living out his will, that changes everything around us. But there's got to be a difference. Listen, the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven here on this earth that we should see a difference, we should hear a difference, we should feel a difference, just like my granny and my aunt would just be verbalizing everything. Man, the kingdom of heaven should be like that in the culture around us. And I don't know that it is yet. It can be. It can be, or God wouldn't have said it. And for me, it's really about this experience that we get to participate in and experiencing all that God is and all that he has for us. And not just us, but as we draw others into that same experience. Citizenship in God's kingdom is quite different than citizenship. Why is that so hard for me to say? I know because I still have a little bit of that communion wafer stuck in my gum. Anybody? I, I was thinking over there, we should request that that cup becomes a little bit bigger. Just we have a little more juice. I, I just made that a very unholy moment, and I, I apologize. <laughs> citizenship in God's kingdom is quite different than citizenship in the United States. We have come through and perhaps are still in a politically charged culture in our nation. Listen, I think we would all wish that our, our leadership would be more godly. I think we would all hope and, and want our policies to be more Christ-like. However, I don't believe that our voting will ever establish God's kingdom on this earth. But the way you and I live will. The way you and I live will. Listen, I love the fact that, that Jesus, as he left, although there's this great charge before us, we call it the Great Commission, that now we're supposed to be living the way that Jesus lived. I love the fact that God sent us the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do so. So this morning in our series, we're going to take a quick look at, at justice, and more specifically what the Bible says about justice. Listen, we don't have time to take a deep dive into this. I wish that we did. But the topic is really so vast. But I want to encourage you to give attention to your notes and, and the Bible references provided for you in your worship guide. The more I strive to live like Jesus, the more I become aware of the ways the Holy Spirit draws my attention to the areas that need transformation. Listen, I want you to pay attention to the things spoken about this morning that really challenge you. I want you to pay closer attention to the things you immediately feel like don't apply to you. Thank you for the little chuckle, somebody. <laughs> Listen, we're pretty good about that, are we? As Christians, we're pretty good about sitting through a message or a sermon or we're getting into God's word and we're challenged by the fact that what we're seeing and what we're hearing, we're thinking applies to somebody else. So if, if that immediately hits you this morning, like that's not me. I would say, that's probably you. That's probably you. 
Listen, God is wanting his will to be done right here in us right now. As kingdom citizens, we serve a king who is just in all his ways. His justice comes out of his inner being and is based on his holiness, truthfulness, and righteousness. Listen, though this topic of justice is vast, in fact, many topics I think are. For me, it's grace. The topic of grace and understanding what grace is, is is pretty vast, and I'm still striving to understand what that means, what God's grace means for me, and what God's grace means for others. But really, when it comes down to it, if we could simply live the way that Jesus lived, his will would be done in us. Several months ago, as I was, uh, as I was reading through God's word, I began to be challenged by the, the, what we would call the red letters, if you still have a paper Bible. The red letters, and the red le- letters represent what Jesus said, how he lived. And then I began to wonder, if my life, if what I said and what I did was written in red letters, like what would people be reading? Because it would be, it would be vastly different than what I see the red letters of Jesus' life and spoken word. But I don't want it to be. I want the Holy Spirit to do a work in my life so that God's will is being done in me and through me moment by moment of every day so that his kingdom can be established here on this earth. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says this. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. I want my life to be lived out in a way that the things that I'm doing are just and fair. Listen, I know in our, our, in our humanity, many times the way that we think and, and some of the emotions that we experience would be a contradiction to God's character. But as we grow in Jesus and understand God's character, then we begin to understand Justice. God's justice is both retributive and restorative. This morning, we're going to focus a lot of time on the restorative side. If we were to begin to move into the retributive side, retribution of God's justice, I think we'd probably have to go about 10 weeks on that topic. And I want to go back to our humanity. As I was trying to understand even even that part, because I was praying through that part, even in preparation for this morning, I tell you what kept tripping me up. Me. Me. Just taking a circumstance by circumstance, looking back on my own life and looking at times when things were done unjustly to me or towards me. Immediately, I was confronted by the emotions of that and also this this uh, feeling or sometimes even like this need for vengeance, retribution. But again, in contrast to God's character, it's just something, man, I'm struggling to understand. God's justice is not only, it not only punishes evil doing, but it restores those who are victims of injustice. Justice, then, is giving people what they are due, whether punishment, protection, or care. Let's look at Luke chapter 4. We're going to read uh, verses 16 through 19. It says this, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, we're speaking of Jesus, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. I love this. 
He didn't pick the scroll, but the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So as we talk about the the will of God being done in us, we can go to these scriptures and see in our own lives that God is calling us to live this same way, that his will would be done and these things would be accomplished and established here on this earth through us. Jesus came to open the way to salvation and establish a kingdom of justice. As his followers, we are called to live justly and work for justice. Listen, biblical justice cannot be reduced to a list of things we should do or not do. Biblical justice is rooted in the character of God and is to be lived out through those who follow him. So if you're here this morning and you would say that you are a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, then justice, God's justice, his will being done in our lives should be lived out through us. We're going to focus on three facets of biblical justice this morning. And, and I can tell you that for me, each one of these, each one of these is a challenge. Again, I think anytime I, I compare my life, my emotions, my thoughts, all those things to Jesus, <laughs> there, there's quite a challenge there. But the first facet of biblical justice we want to look at is radical generosity. Radical generosity. Justice is taking what God has blessed you with and leveraging it for the good of those who are in need. Let's look at a few verses and we'll talk about it some. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says this, Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Luke 12 verses 32 through 33 says, Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness. Listen to this. It gives God great happiness to give you the kingdom. And then we go on to verse 33. So... Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store treasure for you in heaven, and the persons of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. When I think about radical generosity, I love to look in the book of Acts to see what was happening in the church during that time. So some of the history, and I don't really have time to go into all of it, but just a very quick, 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 Brief history of what's happening in the book of Acts. Uh, So it was time for the feast of Pentecost and all that. So Jews from all over the known world had gathered there in Jerusalem for those feasts, the festivals. And this is when God sends the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And then Peter comes out of the upper room and he begins to preach the word of God with boldness. And thousands uh, of people come to know Jesus on that day. The church's birth, they begin to meet in homes and synagogues and and sharing meals together and the Lord's Supper together and, and all these things. But there's something that happens. Because the Jews that had traveled from all around the world, they chose to stay in Jerusalem. So they left their homes, they left their jobs, they left their incomes and stayed in Jerusalem to be taught by the apostles. They wanted to, they wanted to get in on what the Holy Spirit was doing there. They wanted to grow in their knowledge of who Jesus was and who Father God is. And so they stayed there. But look what happens in the church while they're there. And this would span over a few months. But because all of these Jews are now Christians, Christ followers, they left their income. 
the whole church now comes together and we see in the book of Acts, they begin to sell off, they begin to sell off property that they had so that they would have money to feed those that are staying there in Jerusalem. Listen, that's radical generosity. They were seeing what God was doing, what the Holy Spirit was doing. And part of what God was doing was keeping them right there to be discipled and taught. But they needed to eat and they needed places to live. and They, they needed some money to, to sustain them. And we see the church come together, the new church that's just birthed. They come together and they begin to sell off things so that they could support those who stayed. Isn't that amazing? So if we're going to live out the justice of God, his will being done in us, this involves radical generosity. And, you know, another good story I wish we had time to go into because there's so much being taught. There's the Good Samaritan. Listen, if we're honest, I mean, if we're really honest with each other, most of us would have passed right by the person laying in the ditch. Look, I'm I'm a pretty, uh, I can be. The, the, the nature of David can be pretty judgmental. So I can tell you what I would fight if I saw somebody laying in a ditch. I would begin to fight thoughts of the reasons why they're there. But that's not what happens. Not only is this person helped, the Samaritan actually take, you know, the story takes him to the hotel, sets him up for a few nights, and then says, look, anything else that requ- they're required, I'm going to come back, I'm going to pay for everything. Listen, that's radical generosity. But the reality is most of us who are saying that we're kingdom citizens would pass right by. One of the things that I've, I've tried to establish in my, in my own life, and this is just a simple example. If I ever pass a woman on the side of the road that has a flat tire or a broken down and I see that they're alone or uh, uh, with children, I'm going to pull over every time. Every time. Not because there are not women out there that are capable of changing a tire. Let's not go. Some of you are like, well, I could change my own tire. And I, I approach slowly with my, you know, my hands up. Hey, I just want to stop and offer you some help. And but I, I want there to be more things that the Holy Spirit reveals to me, so that I can live out radical generosity. We have a moral obligation to both God and those in need to use our goods unselfishly and with great generosity to serve according to both our ability. And listen, their needs, their needs. I mean, what would happen in our lives if we, if we just began to live out this radical generosity? But we were giving and helping according to the needs of those around us. Even sometimes, listen, even sometimes when that might cause a need in, in our own lives. Biblical generosity isn't rooted in socialism or capitalism. I love what a Bible scholar, Craig Blomberg, wrote. Out of love of God and love of others, the righteous are willing, listen to this, to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. So what does that mean? It means that as Christ followers, we live sacrificially to help those in need. And, And let's not be naive. If we're helping those in need, it means we're looking for those in need. We're not just caught up in our, our own daily routines and not even looking for opportunities. No, this means as kingdom citizens, we're looking for opportunities to help those in need. At the least, it means we help others, even if our needs or desires aren't met. 
I think if we were honest for most of us, it simply means we start by blessing others from our excess. It means we look for opportunities to give so that others can be blessed. Pastor Farrell says that I think after every, after every message before you leave, you are blessed to be a, yeah, you got it. Yeah. We're blessed to be a blessing. So that first facet is radical generosity. The second one is this, universal equality. Universal equality. Biblical justice requires that every person be treated according to the same standards and with the same respect, regardless of class, race, ethnicity, nationality, gender, or any other social category. Listen, we've got, we have to be challenged by this. I think we're being dishonest with ourselves. We're being dishonest with God. We're being dishonest with those around us if we, if we would say we're not challenged by this. Because I can tell you in my own life, I have to be careful of stereotypical ideas that I would have over people and not necessarily in any color or ethnicity or nationality, but just in general, which is just as bad. But having these stereotypical ideas, sometimes of, of somebody who lives in a certain area of town or works a certain type of job or goes to certain types of places, Right? When I see people go to certain types of places, the judgmental side nature of, of me, David, begins to judge them being good or bad. James 2 verses 1 through 4 says this, my brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Man, I love the fact that he gets right to the point there. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Verse 2 goes on to say, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this, discriminate, uh, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided? Listen to this. this. This is one of the things I like to just highlight with a black Sharpie. <laughs> show that your judgments are guided by evil motives. I mean, come on, let's not hide the truth. It's not just, ah, you know. No, it says now I'm showing evil motives. And I think if I think that we've all been there, let me just say most, I'll just say me, I've been there. Have you ever walked into a crowded theater and as you're trying to find a seat, you're judging who you want to sit next to and who you don't want to sit next to. And sometimes you will, for, you, you will forego that seat right in the middle. How many are there with me? I'm like, yeah. Right? You'll forego that seat because you don't like who you're going to have to sit next to and you don't even know the person. Come on, we've, we've all been there. We've been there at restaurants when the host takes you to your seat and you see who's sitting next to you and you're like, oh, man. They've got like five kids. <laughs> hey, stop laughing. That's me. That was, I was going to go on... Some of y'all, if you didn't know me, and maybe, 
because you do, if you came and sat next to my family, you'd be like, oh, hey, do you have a booth? You have a, a booth, a table in the court outside. I'll sit outside. Listen, Jesus shocked the social sensibilities of the day by receiving and treating all classes of people with equal love and respect. Just as Jesus stood for equality, so we must do the same. Really, I could keep coming back to this. It's about us living the way that Jesus lived. If we would just live the way that Jesus lived, that, that simple, if we would just live the way that Jesus lived, then God's kingdom would be experienced by more people. His will would be done through more people. So the third facet is this life-changing advocacy. Life-changing advocacy. While we are to treat all equally and not show partiality to any, we are to have special concern for the poor, the weak, and the powerless. So who are the poor, the weak, and the powerless? We see this in the next few verses. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. I love the fact, again, that we don't see here where it's like, okay, have a really long conversation with them. Have them fill out an application. Find out why they're poor doesn't say that. Isaiah 58, 6 through 7. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrong, wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. And there it is. We're going to have an altar call and we're going to go home. (laughs) I love that you guys laughed at that. The verse, not just not my stupidity. The verse, you, you you laughed at it. James 1, 27, pure and genuine religion. Let's just say Christianity because I, I struggle with that word religion a little bit. Pure and genuine, I guess I struggle a little bit with the the term Christianity these days. Religion in the sight of God the Father means this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So when we talk about, so who is the poor and the weak and and the powerless, we just read three verses, well, three passages that tell us exactly who we are supposed to be advocates for. It kind of removes the excuses, right? Right? So if we're we're living out his will being done in our lives, it it actually means that we're looking for those people to be an advocate for. How many of you have ever prayed this type of prayer? Well, God, I mean, if you'll bring that person to me with a striped hat and a polka dotted shirt and pink shorts and Adidas tennis shoes, man, I'll lead them to Jesus. I'll pray with them. Has anybody ever prayed those type of prayers? You put all these specifics on it. Well, if this happens, then I will. Man, what, what God is showing us in, in, in his word is that to live out being a citizen of his kingdom, his will being done in us, means we're looking for, we're looking for people. 
responsibility to advocate for the poor, weak, and powerless, listen, is not the, it's not the government's. We won't find that in Scripture anywhere. It's not government programs. It's not social services. I want us to also understand that God is not placing this responsibility on the capital C church like an organization. He's placing responsibility to care for the orphans and the widows, the powerless, the weak, the poor. On the lowercase c church, you, me, that's where the responsibility lies. Listen, I'm not saying that the, the church should avoid developing programs and resources to care for those in need. Of course, we need to do that as the capital C church, as Grace Covenant. But I'm saying that those programs and resources should empower you, empower me to care for those in need. As, as a citizen in God's kingdom, listen, I must live as an advocate. We are acting justly in being an advocate when we take action to meet a material need in someone's life, when we empower others to gain self-sufficiency, and when we take on the social structures that disadvantage certain groups. So we, we can't avoid this anymore. I think we have for a long time in the history of the church, both capital C and lowercase c. We just can't do that anymore. You know, we, I've been hearing for a long time that Jesus is coming soon, and, and he is. He's going to come someday. I don't know if that's soon or a lot later, but he's, he's going to come someday. And, and really, when I understand the character of God and the heart of God, that all men would come to know him, and then understanding that he's empowered me by the Holy Spirit to lead people to him, then the responsibility lays on me. And, and my thought is this. Listen, if we want Jesus to come tomorrow, then let's go tell everybody about him today. How many of y'all would love for Jesus to come tomorrow? Before you have to go to work. <laughs> oh, Lord, some of y'all be hitting your knees. This, we was, I was talking with Mike earlier about getting down on my knees, because we, you know, especially when we were singing that song, The Battle Belongs. When I fight, I fight on my knees. The battle begins when you try to get back up. That's when the, I'm like, holding on to the pool in my, anyways, I, I get way off topic there. So working for justice, the institutional church's job is to make disciples rather than change society, but it has to form disciples in such a way that they go out into the world to do justice. I want us to close with just a three points of thought and in, in response to God. The first thing is this, listen and learn to be informed. Listen and learn to be informed. If you want to find out how you, you, you can be an advocate, man, it doesn't take long if you're looking to find those that you can be an advocate for. The second thing is allow God's word to be your guide. We have, we've got to do this. We've got to do this more as, as Christ followers. Not to let the media or all the articles that we're reading online or TikTok or YouTube or whatever else we're using out there, which influences us to such a degree. Let's use God's word. The third thing is put your faith to action. Got to stop talking about it. Listen, I, I love times like this because I know that today or the days following, there's going to be some in our congregation that actually begin to take action. 
You cannot do justice without recognizing how power has been used to exploit and abuse. You also cannot do justice without exerting power yourself. Listen, I want to spend just a few moments to allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's word, what's been spoken this morning. Ask him to make it come alive in your heart, in your spirit. I'm going to go back to a previous statement I made if you've been challenged by something that you take note of that. Can we just close our eyes? And we really just do that, not because we're so spiritual, but it just keeps us from being distracted. Could you allow or ask God, the Holy Spirit, to, to illuminate something that was said, whether from myself or straight from him this morning, to come alive within your heart and your spirit? In other words, coming alive means transformation, and transformation obviously means change, that you leave different. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, we've, uh, I know we've been challenged by your word this morning, like we always are when we get into your word. Lord, I pray that there, there's something that was spoken this morning, something that was received this morning that will come alive in our hearts and our spirits. Lord, my hopes and my prayer would be that every one of us would leave changed by the power of your word. Lord, that we would begin to live out these facets that we talked about of of biblical justice. That we would look for opportunities to be an advocate, to meet the needs of those around us, to stand up for the, the powerless and the weak, So let your church, your people come alive so that your kingdom can be experienced here on this earth and your will will be done through us. You're an awesome God. You alone are worthy of our worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.